Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. We're going to look at uh, uh, Jesus' first miracle this morning. It's, it's in the book of John. And uh, as you know, uh, the, this good news was written by a fellow by the name of John Zebedee. That was his family name. He was a, his father was a fisherman. And he left his father's fishing nets and he followed Jesus because of the glory he saw and the words of grace and truth that he heard. And by the time he wrote his account of the time he spent with Jesus, John was an old man. John was probably uh, the last of the disciples. Paul had died, Peter had died. As far as we know, all the rest of the disciples and followers of Jesus who wrote uh, gospel material had died. He was most likely the last man standing. But in his gospel, John doesn't just tell us what happened. He tells us why it happened and why he wants us to know it happened. And in the gospel of John, there are seven signs that he builds his account gospel account around. There's, there's the sign of the healing of the official son. Uh, he healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He healed a man born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he turned water into wine. And that's the passage we're going to look at this morning. But all of these signs were pointing to something. And later in the Gospel of John, he tells us what it was they were pointing to. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that Jesus, <clears throat> and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John would say, what I saw, what I learned, the glory I saw when we walked with Jesus led me to a place where I personally decided he was the Messiah and I was going to follow him. And I want everyone else who reads this account to learn about Jesus and to follow him as well and to have eternal life with him. That would be the purpose of the Gospel of John. He gives us his, you could say, his summary statement at the end. Now, uh, Jesus attended a wedding, and I want to give you a bit of a background to weddings in those days. So weddings took a year to plan. Maybe they still do. I don't know. Maybe they still take a year to plan. Mine didn't. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I was one of those guys who just showed up and it happened, right? It was an awesome wedding. Uh, but 2,000 years ago, you spent a whole year preparing for a wedding feast that typically lasted seven days. It wasn't um, a, a little ceremony in the church and then back into the fellowship hall for some um, lemonade and squares. It was a, a feasting and dancing and rejoicing 
And people came expecting to eat and drink and feast and rejoice for seven days. And uh, the guests were all coming from a small community. They, everybody knew everyone. And so for wine to run out in the middle of this festive event would be very embarrassing and humiliating. And everyone would know about it. So wine was an integral part of feasting and rejoicing. Now, that's a bit of the background. Let's, let's begin with the narrative, this account. Um, yeah, PowerPoint too, good. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. She's not named as Mary, but it was Mary. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And, of course, John Zebedee was there. He was the author of, of this book. It is striking that this wedding is the occasion of the first great miracle of Jesus Christ on the very first week of his public ministry. You could say Jesus approved of marriage. He was a social person, and it was a good thing for him to be there. And it's a good thing when, metaphorically, Jesus is invited to a wedding or into a marriage. Now, we gave a hand clap out to Keith and Betty this morning. Uh, uh, 60 years, way to go. Uh, Sharon and I will celebrate 45 years of marriage this fall. And uh, our marriage was recorded on a reel-to-reel -reel recorder. You may remember those. Later uh, transferred to uh, the cassette technology. You, some of you may remember cassette technology. And we still have that cassette. And once a year, we listen to it. And it, 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 it's, it's interesting to look back on what was, what was preached to us at that wedding 45 years ago and the, and the value and impact of it now. It's, it's the same now as it was then. There were warnings against infidelity. There was a challenge to be prepared for, uh, to face adversity. And there were encouragement to communicate love with words. So those were a couple of things that, that we review every year. Um, and it's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, we have a Sony Walkman that we play the cassette on. I don't know if you remember those. Um, so Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and because she knew about the wine that was running out, there's this probable evidence that she was part of the catering team. Otherwise, how would she have known? So when the wine ran out, now this would be similar to any wedding, your son, your daughter, it's catered and you run out of dessert or wedding cake or fireworks. It would be a social faux pas, but wine running out at a Jewish wedding, as I said earlier in the background, that would have been a huge blunder. And led me to think that when the wine ran out, a marriage where Jesus is present can still run into trouble. When the wine ran out, 
could be a good metaphor for when trouble comes. The wine may be running out in some way in your life. When there are difficulties in your marriage, or when illness strikes, when hardship occurs, when the money runs out, when the love runs out, when the faith runs out, when the child runs out, when trouble comes in any form, what do you do? We're not insulated from the realities of life in this world, and even when Jesus is present, trouble comes to all of us. Now, what do you do? Do you, do you go to the, type in your problems in Google and get all the half-truths and truths about the issue? Maybe you veg out on television to dull the pain or stock up on chocolate to ease the ache. Not to say any of these are wrong, but what is your first response? Now, uh, almost exactly a year ago, I personally ran into some trouble. I'm, I'm saying like this week, a year ago. You could say the wine was running out. I, uh, I didn't know what I was dealing with at the time. It took six months to diagnose that I was dealing with an autoimmune disease that had attacked my lungs and muscles. But during that time, before I had a diagnosis, I had to come to grips with some hard truths. We got our burial plots in order, we got our will in order. Um, it didn't look, it looked grim. And I, I, I was despairing and I was upset. And here's three or four things that I learned during that time period, which, which I think are valuable. I needed to stop despairing and start being thankful. You know, thankfulness changes things. When you start recognizing the small, beautiful ways that God intersects with your life on an everyday basis, it can change how you feel about life. So I started a new gratitude journal, making note of all the tiny, wonderful, mysterious ways that God intersected in my life. And my journal includes thankfulness for friends, and I named them, and thankfulness for birds singing brightly. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Ann Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts, but highly recommended. It's about keeping track of those blessings in your life. Now, number two, I needed to memorize new scriptures that could encourage me in times of struggle. I have found God's word memorized in my heart to be of great value to me. It not only changes my thinking back to truth, but it encourages my heart because it's a living word. So, for example, I memorized Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, in the middle of the night, in the darkness of the night, when it was just me and God, I would say, God, you said you wanted to hear my prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. Here they are, and I prayed them again and again. 
So that was number two. Number three, if you've taken the Abide study, you know that there's an emphasis on dwelling, on pursuing intimacy with Jesus. We sang, um, we're going to sing <laughs> Goodness of God later today. And one of the lines in that is, you led me through the fire, uh, through darkness, through the darkest night, uh, you are close like no other. That was what I was desiring. That was what I was pursuing. And I, as I pursued intimacy with Jesus, I felt him carry me. And number four, I recognized I needed the prayer and support of many people. Um, not just physicians, but people around me, people who loved me. My family, of course, and, and uh, one Sunday morning, the worship team called me up, anointed me, and prayed for me, just as an example of the body of Christ coming around and, and bringing prayer. Friends in Perth, friends in Cuba, friends in Penticton, and friends in Smith Falls were all bringing my name before the throne of God. So, friends, when trouble comes, let the body of Christ support you. Okay, ask for prayer. Well, when the wine ran out, Mary's first response was to run down to the liquor store and get... Uh, Mary's first response was to call on Jesus. Now, Mary, the only one who truly knew her son, the one who treasured up in her heart all the prophecies given to her, as well as all the miraculous signs that had happened to her, Mary carried Jesus for nine months, knowing she had never had relations with a man. Mary knew who Jesus was by what the angel told her and the prophecies given by Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon. She knew and believed who Jesus was and therefore what authority he would have. She knew him deeply and boldly she was full of faith and expectation, and she was ready to receive signs and wonders in a time of need. Mary knew Jesus could do something about the crisis. Friends, where Christ is present, there is hope. Next slide. Mary turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, and Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that sounds a bit harsh. I wouldn't uh, try using the word woman on your wife. But apparently at that time and in that place, that was a respectful form of address and did not sound the way it does to our modern ears. Jesus was not saying, leave me alone. Okay. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Well, you know my hour has not yet come is a foreshadowing of what Jesus knew about his life, that his hour would come. The beginning of his public ministry was the beginning of the journey to that hour. And three years later, as he approached Passover, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, Mary knew Jesus could do something about the crisis, so she acted. His mother said to the servants, 
do whatever he tells you. I love that word, that little line. Almost feels like it's a sermon in itself. Do whatever he tells you. Uh, next line, our next slide, please. Uh, and Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they fill them to the brim. Now, servants are do what they're told, but can you imagine what they must have been thinking? These six stone water jars that are full of up 120 to 180 gallons, a lot of water. Fill them up. But why? Why fill them up? They would have been thinking. Uh, we've done all the ceremonial washing. That was three days ago. We don't need, we don't need more water. And it was contrary to common sense. Well, sometimes Jesus tells you to do something and it doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. It's counter to the culture and it's counter to our intuition. And I love the little vignette in uh, Luke chapter 5. It says, um, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Simon was a fisherman. He knew that they'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. He knew that there was nothing out there. But at your word, he says, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. Well, it made sense not because Simon understood it, but because of where it had come from. It made sense because who said it? I have, uh, uh, when Sharon and I lived on a little side street in Perth, we had an experience that was sort of counterintuitive as well one day. Uh, Sharon, we saw this couple, we didn't know them, and um, we had been living there a short period of time, but Sharon said, I feel like we really need to go and talk to that couple. And I said, okay, and we got a babysitter for our kids, and, and we walked up uh, and around the street to the house we thought uh, they lived at, knocked on the door. I came out. No, they didn't live here. Well, maybe that should have been our first clue, but it wasn't, so we went to the next door and knocked on that door. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they welcomed us in, we introduced ourselves, and the woman said to us, we've been waiting to hear something like this. This is just what we've been waiting for. It was quite an amazing moment. And they became part of a small Bible study, and, and for a while they followed the Lord. Um, I wish I could say they were still following ardently, but they followed closely and... Uh, Oh, drift, have drifted. However, I, I think once the Lord gets a hold of you, they'll come back. But it made sense to us because we heard about it from Jesus, not because we felt like there's somebody in that house that, you know, in our own understanding needs to hear. So none of us knows how God will use what is happening in our lives to advance his great purpose for us. But you can be sure of this, Christ will use every circumstance to advance his loving purpose for you. Can I repeat that? Christ will use 
every circumstance to advance his loving purpose for you. We just sang a song called Waymaker, and it said, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. God is at work. And his purposes, loving purposes for you, is to advance his loving purpose. Now, uh, the next slide says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That would be 120 to 180 gallons of water. That would be a lot of wine. But remember, wine represented God's blessing. It is interesting to note that Moses' first miracle was turning water to blood, which was a sign of God's judgment. And Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine, which was a sign of God's blessing. And from a site uh, on the internet called Christianity.com, I read uh, this article about that process. Wine requires many processes that cover a long period of time, the growth of the plant, the maturation of the grape, the harvesting of the grape, the treading of the grapes into juice, the aging time required for fermentation. Thus, by changing water into wine, Jesus demonstrated his authority over even the atomic structure of atoms by commanding oxygen and hydrogen atoms to disassemble and reassemble into something totally different. Jesus bypassed the entire time frame in moments, and it was a demonstration of God's power at the molecular level over time and space. Let's give you an example of, of how big a thing this was. This wasn't just, you know. Now, those jars were used for ceremonial washing, and that's, this is important because first century Jewish law required that before they did certain things, they had to be ceremonially clean. And the Jewish oral tradition, when it was written, called the Mishnah, lays out all kinds of traditions that instructed people how to wash. This was ritual cleansing. Now, their hands may have been dirty, but it wasn't because their hands were dirty. It was to become spiritually clean. And as I said earlier, John, when he was writing this, had the perspective of many, many years to look back at this miracle. And so he knew that these water jars were symbols or icons of the covenant and traditions that Jesus had come to replace. God's covenant with Moses was coming to an end. The book of Hebrews says it was obsolete and outdated and was disappearing. And Jeremiah had prophesied, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not be, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel 
after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Now, the obedience of the servants is significant here. When Jesus says, fill the water pots, John records, they filled them to the brim. When Jesus says, take it to the master, they took it. You see, Jesus Christ could have turned the water into wine without any involvement from the servants. Why didn't he? Because God works with his people. He works as his people pray and as his people are actively involved in his service and in obedience to his commands. His blessing came to the wedding guests through the obedience of the servants and not without it. Paul says in Corinthians, we are God's fellow workers. And he told them, draw some out and take it to the master. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he called the bridegroom and said, everybody brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You have saved the best till now. And God had as well. Because the sacrificial system set the stage for the new that was coming. Something new had come. Someone new had come. That's why John the Baptist could cry out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every person who was attending the Jordan River and heard John say that knew that he was talking about something new that was coming. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. Christ manifested his glory. But who saw it? Well, Mary saw it. Uh, the servants who hauled the water saw it. Jesus' disciples saw it. But there were many people who were unaware. Most people were oblivious to what had happened. The master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and didn't know where it came from. So what did he do? Well, he called over the bridegroom and says, you kept the best wine till now. Now, what was the bridegroom's response? Was he incredulous? We're not told, but I can imagine. Did he say, hey, when you make the types of plans I make, everything just goes the way it should go? No. Or maybe he just said, glad you like good wine. Most guests went home that day completely unaware of the glory that had been manifested. Went back to work on Monday, 
not at their computers. Uh, out in the fields, hey, how was the wedding? Oh, it's great, bride looked beautiful, food was terrific, lots of wonderful, but the wine at the end, wow, especially good. Nobody knew. My point is that it's possible to enjoy good gifts from God and not yet have discovered where they come from. You may say, well, I worked hard for what I have and what I enjoy. Well, the servants worked hard, but if it had not been for Jesus, all they would have to show for it would have been six stone pots full of water. Friends, if it had not been for the blessing of Christ in your life, your work would be the same. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You may say, yeah, but I made good decisions. I've taken charge of my life like, unlike many others I know. Well, the master of the, of the feast was in charge of the wedding, but if it had not been for Jesus, the whole thing would have been a complete disaster. And all his planning would have been for naught. He would have been remembered by the whole town as the man who was master of the wedding where the wine ran out. That wouldn't be a very good moniker for future sales. James says every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. Every good gift comes from above. Everything that brings pleasure and joy. The gift of music, the gift of art, the gift of work, the gift of sport, the gift of love, the gift of health, the gift of food and shelter, the gift of peace, the gift of joy. Old Thanksgiving hymn says, all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above, so Thank the Lord. Yes, thank the Lord for all his love. The glory of Jesus had been revealed and people who see it believe. See, God embeds the miraculous in ordinary events. And it says his disciples believed in him. Friends, this morning may all of us see something of the glory of Jesus today. May we be thankful for all the small, mysterious ways God intersects in our lives. And may the truth of God's faithfulness wrap around you today and hold you close. And may we, like John, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. Let us pray. Father, we turn to you, we seek you in every dimension of our lives, and we thank you for interacting with us in ways that we see and ways we don't see. This morning we say we trust you with our lives, with our health, with our marriages, with our friendships. We trust you with your purposes for us. We are your fellow workers. And may you open us up to received many good gifts today, glorious gifts through Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, 
Take care and God bless.